The Single Tracks podcast is brought to you by TPC, the pros closet. Now is the perfect time to upgrade, and TPC has an industry-leading selection of new and certified pre-owned bikes, plus frames, wheels, and accessories. Each certified pre-owned bike is inspected, tested, and serviced, and every bike includes 30-day returns. Visit tpc.bike forward slash singletracks and enter code singletracks40 to save $40 on every order over 200 That's the pros closet at tpc.bike slash singletracks. And look for the link and coupon code in the show notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Singletracks podcast. My name is Jeff and today my guest is Angie Weston. Angie is the founder of Radical Roots MTB, a group that provides fun, safe mountain bike skills progression through various lessons, programs, events, and group rides. In addition to working with riders, Angie also trains skills coaches and is based in Bellingham, Washington. Thanks for joining us, Angie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah. So tell us, how how did you first get into mountain biking? So, um, kind of a funny path to get me here. I was a sophomore in college here at Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington. Mm-hmm. And I just grew up like Seattle, Tacoma suburbs area of Washington. So I was okay. staying in state, came up here to go to school. Second year in, I didn't get my financial aid check one quarter and kind mm-hmm. of panicked. And I realized that I was two credits short for their requirements. Uh-oh. And I really didn't want to add another textbook heavy class to my um, schedule that uh-huh. that quarter. And so I scrolled for PE classes that were worth <laughs> two credits. <laughs> yeah. And there was only one of them. They're all usually one credit classes, but I found one PE class that was two credits. It was called Beginning Bicycling. Huh. And the only requirements were that you had a bike and a helmet, which I did have. <laughs> I had a Schwinn, like lady step through frame cruiser bike. Okay. Wasn't a full road bike, but it, so it had like, you know, it had like the quill stem and like, yeah, wasn't, wasn't a mountain bike either. <laughs> <laughs> I show up to the first day of class and my instructor, John Hansen was like, so I'm a mountain biker. So this is actually going to be a beginning mountain biking class. And that was literally <laughs> the first time I'd ever heard of mountain biking or oh, that wow. I recollect ever have heard yeah. hearing of it. Huh. Uh, I was a snowboarder. And so part of my decision to come to Western was because of Mount Baker's proximity. And mm-hmm. so when he, yeah, when he said, we're going to be learning mountain biking, I was like, what is this all about? <laughs> what am I getting myself into? Yeah. And I remember coming home to my roommates after the first day of class. Well, we did like the intro class where he told us that we were mountain biking. And then the like first day of actually riding, we just did one of the really mellow railroad grade trails here in town called the inner urban trail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got home to my roommates and I was like, y'all, we just rode our bikes through like dirt and over roots. <laughs> and there were like bridges and I was yeah. muddy. I think I'd wiped out a little bit. I had some blood, mud, sweat, and I uh-huh. was stoked. I was wow. so hooked. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I took a, took a PE class to get a financial aid check and it's, completely changed the trajectory of my life. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And did you <laughs> stick with the Schwinn that whole semester or that did you whole, like find another yep. bike? Oh my goodness. No, I, I, I rocked the Schwinn. I basically learned how to mountain bike on that, on that cruiser bike. And that was in the fall. He did the class wasn't offered through the winter. And then in the spring quarter, 
my birthday's also in the spring. So I saved up and, you know, any family or friends that were going to pitch in and get me a present, I asked them, I was like, Hey, can you just help me buy a mountain bike? Hmm. So I saved all my pennies and collected friends money and family money and bought a $500 hardtail diamond backed dual reactor. Oh, okay. <laughs> and That's an upgrade. Just, yeah. It was a total upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was like, I got a mountain bike. I'm going to take this mountain bike class again and actually learn how to mountain bike on a proper mountain bike. So mm-hmm. signed up for the class in the spring. John was the instructor again. And it was kind of funny. He actually used me a lot as demo to demo things. Hmm. He would explain, you know, here's how you ride switchbacks. Angie, go ahead and show him because he knew I knew from the previous class. Yeah. So I would demo the switchbacks and whatnot. And then um, just because this is relative, I think, to the rest of the story, Eventually, John got to a point where he needed to work on graduating from college and didn't have time to keep teaching the mountain biking class. Mm -hmm. And he had a good friend, Bobby, who was a mechanic and a proficient mountain biker. But then he saw the potential in me as an educator and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, encourager, all these things. So he referred Bobby and I to the PE department to be the next teachers of the class. So yeah, literally in the first year of me mountain biking, I found myself getting paid. I mean, it was like $200 for the quarter, but still I was paid to teach mountain biking as a total noob. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. So was that class, I mean, right. This is very relevant to kind (laughs) of your story and like what you do now, like was the class set up as like a skills class or was it kind of a general, like we're going to show you how to work on bikes and then kind of run the gamut or, or was it very like skills focused? Yeah. I mean, I basically just regurgitated John's lesson plan for the season, (laughs) which was a mix of all of it. He, he took us on rides that weren't very uh, technically challenging to help Mm -hmm. our fitness. Then he taught us some technique took us on more technical rides whenever there was bad weather or rain day or whatever he'd mix in maybe an off the bike maintenance, trailside maintenance. I remember Mm -hmm. one time it was like really crummy weather and we all went to someone's house and watched DVDs of mountain biking. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So sounds like a fun class. Yeah. Yeah, he he was a, he's an amazing instructor himself and um had a really fun way to reach everyone in the class at where they were at and mm-hmm. the ride the whole quarter would kind of culminate with a ride on Galbraith which is our local mountain biking um hill here. Mm-hmm. And you know there was no transportation for the college students to do this class so we would meet on Western's campus and then whatever biking we wanted to do we had to do from campus. So we did a lot of just like exploring the local parks that didn't have they're not known for their extensive trail networks, but they definitely Mm -hmm. had roots and rocks and single track and and stuff for Mm. us to play around on and get skill set. We wrote down a lot of staircases to practice our skills, you know, like at parks and stuff. And (laughs) yeah, yeah. So it was everything. It was a little bit of a little, you know, there was always some trail side maintenance uh, class or two mixed in with the quarter of mostly riding and working on technique. Mm, Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, John was very much like a I mean, a coach for lack of a better word. I mean, an instructor over the years, have you worked with other instructors or was like that kind of your, your launch pad into uh, being an instructor yourself? Yeah. So um, yeah, John had a lot of experience. He's a very high level snowboard instructor Hmm. and he was never, from from what I recall, he wasn't actually certified to be a mountain bike instructor, but he was clearly like a great instructor and a great mountain biker and was able to kind of bridge that gap and be, be a really solid coach. Mm-hmm. And then 
yeah, I also kind of took that path of snowboard instruction through the winters as a way to keep teaching. Cause I realized through that mountain bike class, I was like, Oh man, this is really fun. I like teaching. I like teaching sports, especially. Yeah. And so in the winters, I was a snowboard instructor up at Mount Baker. And then in the spring and fall, I would teach this beginning mountain biking class. This is the early 2000s that I was in college doing the class and then, and got coached by John. And then I didn't pursue any more coaching myself until I started actually getting certified to coach. Mm -hmm. And part of that I think is rooted in, well, one, I was in, I was kind of like working at a bike shop and broke and in my mid twenties, you know, I wasn't really like, mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily feel like I had the financial, if I was going to spend money on mountain biking, it was going to be to like upgrade my tires or disc brakes or something. I didn't mm -hmm. really make the connection to investing money in my skill set to make the sport better for me. Mm -hmm. I hadn't quite made that connection, even though I had been coached by John and that had taught me a lot. A lot of the coaching I saw advertised back in the early to mid 2000s was geared towards women and typically like geared towards beginner women. And I didn't feel like I was a beginner at that point. I had, while I was in college, I started racing downhill for Western's mountain bike team. Mm. And, you know, I was riding Whistler Bike Park on my hardtail mm -hmm. for the first wow. couple seasons. <laughs> cool. So I always kind of like brushed off coaching in those early years. Even after I'd taken the P class, I brushed off coaching because I didn't think it was, it didn't speak to me at my level of riding mm -hmm. with my goals yeah. from what I could tell. But of course, that's through like a skewed lens of maybe like a 20 something year old with a bit of an ego also, <laughs> right, right? right? And I've discovered over the years that like, oh, just because you can ride fast uphill <laughs> or downhill doesn't necessarily mean you are a very skilled mountain biker mm, when it comes right. to the technique of things. Yeah. And so I would have some pretty heinous crashes. I would push my riding and try new things. And sometimes it'd go great. And sometimes it would go terribly. Mm -hmm. And I was always just kind of, when it wouldn't go well, I would kind of scratch my head. Actually, I guess sometimes to be honest, when it went well, oftentimes I would scratch my head too and be like, how did I make that work? But not that one work, you know? <laughs> I think I was just like, okay, I need to ride more. I need to upgrade my bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just didn't really think, I just didn't really give coaching a second thought because I just didn't really see coaches targeting my mm. type of riding and my interests. Yeah. You would see coaches, you know, I knew that like upper level, you know, I was a big fan of Marla Streb. Right. Right. Yeah. She's like downhill goddess. And like the coaches she was hiring, I always assumed were more like helping her with her nutrition mm -hmm. and her training schedule and these things to prepare for her races. So I remember thinking like, oh, it'd be cool to have a coach like that to get better at racing. But I still hadn't quite made the link to like skills coaching yeah. benefiting me or being able to reach me where I already was at my writing. Mm -hmm. Like I felt fast, but I didn't know what I didn't know, I guess is another right. way to put it. Yeah. And um, yeah. And now, you know, okay. So then I started um, uh, after working at the bike shop for a few years, I got a job at a bicycle manufacturer here in town and I ended up working for them as a sales rep for well over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And in my time as a sales rep, I got introduced to, really cool bike shops and bike shop employees around the country. They were my mm -hmm. sales, I had sales territory around the country that I would live here in Bellingham, but I would travel to visit these bike shops. Uh -huh. And one shop, the service manager was like, oh man, you got to talk to my wife, Tanya. She's putting on the biggest clinic that happens for female mountain bikers. It's called the Midwest Women's Mountain Bike Clinic. We'd love to have you there. Mm. So I reached out to Tanya and she was like, oh yeah, we would love to have you as a coach if you know how to coach mountain biking. I was like, I totally uh, know how to coach mountain biking. I taught yeah. <laughs> beginning bicycling at 
at Western, you know? Yeah, yeah. And thankfully she partnered me with an actual certified mountain bike coach. Mm-hmm. So I got to see their strategies for teaching their students okay. and a light bulb kind of hit me then. I was like, Oh, here I am spending money getting certified as a snowboard instructor. I didn't even think about that path as a mountain bike instructor. Mm. So that was probably, yeah, 2000 seven or eight ish Okay, that sent me down the trail of starting to look into becoming a certified mountain bike coach. And in my certification courses, that's when I started to realize how much I didn't actually know. Mm. Like I was at a point in my riding where I was winning local expert level downhill races, Mm -hmm. but I had no idea how to corner. My first certification coach was Shams March, who still does certs and runs businesses, coaching businesses today. Mm -hmm. He was like, dude, you're doing that all wrong. (laughs) Like, no wonder I lose so much speed in corners. So it was kind of funny. I remember it taking this sport where I felt one with my bike and I was like Zen and in, in flow state riding. And after that certification course, I was so in my head, I couldn't even tell my right from left. I'd be like, okay, oh, wow. Angie, right hand corner coming, lean your bike to the right. right. Which, uh, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> my, my processing was so slow. I had to overthink everything. I got a little yeah. frustrated, um, but I trusted the process. I knew Shams saw you know, what I needed to fix. And he gave me the steps to fix it, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't immediate. And that was really frustrating. I wasn't used to that, but yeah, trusted the process, put in the practice, still working on my cornering till this day, but it does feel a lot more natural. I don't have to overthink which way I'm turning and which way I'm leaning my bike and all that stuff. Well, that, that raises an interesting question about like skills in terms of like, is there an objectively right way to do things like cornering, for example. I mean, it sounds like you had a technique, you were successful with it, you're winning downhill races and and doing just fine. But then somebody else either, you know, they've looked at a lot of athletes and have found like, okay, they, most of them kind of use this technique. Is there an objectively better technique for everything? Or is there, is there some nuance there as well? The thing that I, I think is tricky about answering that question is that we encounter so much variety in what we ride in mountain biking, right? Mm-hmm. Take cornering yeah. since we're on that topic, right? Are you going uphill? Or are you going downhill? Do you have gravity? Right. Are you using your brakes? Are you pedaling? What's the, so what's managing your speed? Is it a sharp turn? Is it a broad turn? Is it sweeping? Is it awkward? Is it off camber? Is it flat? Is it tacky? Is it, is it, is it loose? Mm-hmm. Is there a berm? Is it flat? Like, I mean, and yeah. any combination of all those little situations I just listed just off the top of my head come into play for every different, like every different right. corner. Right. Yeah. So I think when a mountain bike coach tells you this is the right way to corner, this is the only way to corner there. They're kind of shutting you off from being able to adapt to the variety of corners out there. Mm-hmm. So I think more than if there's like a more than the asking if there's like the right way to do something, I think there are just like there's wrong ways to do something. <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> and, point. And there could be a lot of different correct ways to do something depending yeah. on the situation and your goal. Is your goal to slow down through that corner so that you can? roll the next feature or is your Mm -hmm. goal to produce momentum in that corner so you can launch the next feature or whatever. Right. So I think, yeah, it's not black and white. There's a lot of variables in mountain biking and there's a lot of variables in what people want out of their mountain biking. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to that, like, no, there's not one right way to do it, but there is a way to understand what your bike needs and what you need 
at different times and what Mm -hmm. the trail calls for at different times. And I think the more solid your foundation of skills are, the more adaptable you are to the variety that exists, Mm. what I call out in the wild, like out on trails, right? Yeah, right. So yeah, no, there's no one right way to corner, but there is certainly ways to do it better or approach it better that give you more success in more Mm. variety of situations than not, if that makes sense. I really connect with what you said about like, there are wrong ways. Like there are definitely ways that, you know, I think of like, I know very little about baseball, but if you watch baseball, like every pitcher they can have some wildly different ways of pitching, like in terms of their windup and their follow through and all of that. But at the end of the day, like if you're not able to throw strikes when you want to throw strikes, then there's probably something wrong with your technique. And so you can't necessarily look at somebody and say, wow, like he's a great pitcher. I, I have to do it the way he does it. But it's more about like figuring out, are you doing it wrong? And if so, like, let's, let's get to the basics and, and find the right technique. Yeah, bingo. (laughs) (laughs) And to finish answering the question before, so I talked about working with Shams and getting my certifications. Since that was, uh, so in 2010 is when I got my level three certification, which at the time was the highest you could get before becoming a certified instructor trainer, Mm -hmm. which I had a full-time job. So I wasn't really interested in that route at that time. But since then, yeah, since launching, I mean, in the years between, I've done a lot of events where I've worked with other coaches and where Mm -hmm. I haven't necessarily been directly coached by them. I've had a lot of time writing with them and talking with them about writing techniques and strategies and teaching strategies. And so I feel like my peer group has taught me a lot over the years, like my other coaching peers around the country, when I'd be at events with them, Mm -hmm. we would learn a lot from each other's Mm. trial and error and just what I call just like nerding out on coaching and writing (laughs) techniques. So that I've had years and years of just nerding out to expand my knowledge. But then um, I do still hire a coach on occasion. One of my favorite coaches is Harlan Price. He's out of uh, Virginia. Mm. So he's on the other side of the country as me. So whenever he's visiting this side of the country, or if I'm over there, I try to book a little session with Harlan to just keep my skills at my current writing level sharp and progressing. Because mm-hmm. I am just obviously a very you know, big believer in growth mindset and that we mm-hmm. all have room to change and grow no matter what age we're at or what part, what point in life we're at, we yeah. have the ability to learn new things. Just as we age, learning physical things definitely becomes a bit trickier, but not mm-hmm. impossible. And I find it quite fun. <laughs> yeah, this is a great outlook and a great way to put it. Um, I think, yeah, we could all benefit from that as a starting place. And then, yeah, approaching mountain biking and, and everything in that way. So, you started Radical Roots in 2018. And since that time, like you've, you've come up with a lot of different programs and, and found new and different ways to teach mountain bike skills. One of the things I noticed that consistently, it looks like you, you strongly recommend riders use flat pedals at your clinics. And I know this is like something that mountain bikers, we love to debate, like flat pedals, clipless, which one's better. So, I'm curious though, like in terms of skills, what can riders learn from riding on flat pedals that maybe they can't learn uh, if they're riding clipless? Uh, yeah, I great question. Thanks for asking. I again, this is one of those topics I love nerding out about. <laughs> 
I think, well, one of the things that riding on flats versus riding in clips can teach you is how to keep the bike with you when you're not attached to it, yeah. right? So if you're not clipped in. Which is really hard. I have no idea how that works because I'm I'm so used to clipless. Every clipless, time I go yeah. flat, I'm like, no, this is not possible, but it is. It is possible, Jeff. And I bet in like yeah. a short amount of time working with a coach, if you wanted to, you could definitely yeah. figure out how to work your bike with flat pedals and everything you learn on flat pedals, you can translate back to your clipless and just be that much more solid on your clipless mm. pedals. Mm. So I'm a big fan of like, I want you riding whatever pedal system you're comfortable with. And I think if you're a pretty proficient and enthusiastic mountain biker and you're riding quite often, you're probably encountering situations where you want to ride either or mm. right. Like yeah. if you're racing, it makes sense. You want to clip in, you want to reduce your chances of errors and mistakes and separating from your bike. Mm -hmm. If you're pushing your skills and trying to learn manuals or riding skinnies, like it's probably going to serve you to be on flat pedals. So you can just like mm. bail yeah. a little easier and like, right. right? So I think that both have their place in the world. Mm -hmm. The thing with flat pedals, I find, especially with newer riders, it just tends to be safer for them to bail, step off the bike. They just feel more comfortable getting on and off the bike without having that pedal system to navigate. Mm -hmm. Now, someone like yourself, you're really proficient at your clipless. You probably are like, I could learn these skills. I know I can clip in and out in a heartbeat. It doesn't take me any longer to, to use my clipless than flats. And that's totally fine. But there's things you've learned I would say like shortcuts you've learned in your technique mm -hmm. that the clipless has, have enabled you to learn that if you knew how to do off of clipless on flat pedals, mm -hmm. you it would actually make your clipless riding that much more consistent, safe, yeah. progressive, progression, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, it's definitely cheating with clipless. Like my no, son, you know, he's, he's yeah. 10 and he's not, not even thinking about clipless. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Sure. Uh, that young, but yeah, to start out. And so, yeah, he'll ask me things like, Hey, how do you bunny hop? And I'm like, well, you know, I got these, these pedals and they're connected to my shoe. And so I just jump. Right. And so, yeah, that, that I yeah. definitely see that it, you don't really know, and you are kind of cheating and like, it's a shortcut. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess cheating is one way to put it. I don't really think of it as cheating. I mean, you're having fun on your bike, like kudos to you. You're yeah. staying safe. Your feet are on the pedals. That's awesome. That's not cheating. Right. It's just different. And if all you ever know is clipless pedals, but then you also know that your riding has reached some kind of plateau and you haven't been progressing past it, mm -hmm. or you're in a situation where you want to teach your son how to bunny hop, but you don't know how to articulate it because you haven't had to learn that yourself. I think that's a great situation to be to be in, to try flat pedals. Mm -hmm. And especially if you try it in a clinic setting with a coach looking out for you, giving you all those pointers, making it as safe as possible. Mm. Like if today, Jeff, after this conversation, you just went and put flat pedals on your bike, you're like, I'm going to go figure it out. You might figure some stuff out. You might also take a shinner or two, right? <laughs> Where you're like, I would definitely do that. I have done that. I have <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go do that jump. Oops, I forgot. I'm on flats. I'm on and, flats. Yeah. So it's not that um, you can't learn that stuff on clipless. I just think that flats kind of force you to learn it on a deeper level that mm -hmm. will serve you regardless of what pedal system you're on. Yeah. And then me personally, as a coach, I'm on and off my bike a ton. So I like being in flats just because of the convenience of standing around, talking, hiking features, sessioning, mm -hmm. things like that. So a lot of times my students are kind of in a similar situation. We ride something, we go back up, we ride it again. Being on flats just makes that easier. Yeah, certain skills like lifting your bike into the air, jumping. If you learned how to do that on clipless pedals, you have figured out how to jump and land, 
But if you're having a hard time progressing that jumping or hitting bigger jumps or gap jumps, could it be rooted in a lack of awareness of what's happening in your feet and legs? Because mm. you've never really had to pay that much attention to your feet right. and legs because they're just attached to your pedals. So I think flat pedals really bring an awareness to what your feet, ankles, knees, hips, all of that are doing. And like from the hips down is such a crucial part of mountain biking mm -hmm. in finding balance and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I think that there are things that you're forced to learn if you're on flat pedals that maybe right. clipless wouldn't teach you and that those lessons can be translated and can benefit your clipless riding. Even if you're like, I'll never go back to flats again after this lesson, <laughs> you'll still be a better rider, a more aware rider, a more active, engaged, dynamic rider, having fought through that like awkwardness of getting used to flat pedals. Mm -hmm. Plus I always like to tell my students, this is kind of a silly reason, but I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before you like, you're on a trip somewhere, you fly somewhere, your bike doesn't show up, your pedals don't arrive, your shoes don't arrive. Or all of a sudden you find yourself like, oh my gosh, my friends want to go for this like fun bike ride. And we got this opportunity to rent bikes, but I've never ridden flipless, flat pedals before. And like, yeah, yeah there's just limiting. Like if you only ride clipless shoes and pedals, there might be opportunities to ride a bike that are super fun that you miss out on or you get hurt doing because mm -hmm. you aren't used to them. And it's kind of a silly reason, but I think it's just kind of speaks to making you more, making you a more versatile, flexible rider, yeah. which can sometimes present opportunities you never saw coming for sure yeah I, i've actually made that exact argument about just i personally i want to be better at riding with flats for that reason just it makes it easier to just go for a ride anytime you don't have to change your shoes and yeah there's just less planning anything i can do to make it easier to ride uh is a win in my book so yes, yes it's definitely so on my after, list after this call we'll book a session for that Jeff. yes <laughs> Sweet. Well, so along those lines, and you don't you don't mention this, but I've heard a lot of people say this that it's better to learn on a hardtail than it is on a full suspension bike. And I learned to ride on a hardtail, um, like a lot of people, and not I don't think it was because like that wasn't a conscious choice. A lot of times the hardtails are cheaper, or if you started many, many years ago, that's all that was available. But is there is there value in learning on a hardtail versus a full suspension bike? Yeah, I mean, I think there's value to learning on either bike. If you think about learning on a full suspension bike, you do tend to have a little more room for error, mm -hmm. which can be more forgiving in your early years of riding. I learned on a hardtail and I actually attribute a lot of those early years of, of let's just say it, suffering through riding yeah, technical terrain yeah. on a hardtail. I attribute a lot of that to my advanced bike handling skills in my early years. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there was a time in my life where I was just like, you got to learn on a hardtail. It's the best because <laughs> that had really served me personally. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, now... 20 some years into coaching people and seeing everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, I'm like really glad that some of my students have full suspension bikes and they're learning on that. And I don't think that's a detriment to the, their learning by any means. I think the important thing is that is that you you work toward learning skills on your bike with intention, mm -hmm. right? Getting better at mountain biking does take 
writing, right? You got to be out there. You got to put in the hours. You got to get in the miles. Like Mm -hmm. it takes practice, like a lot of practice. But whether you're on a hardtail or full suspension, you could be practicing incorrect techniques that are really going to hold back your progression ultimately more so than whatever bike you're on. Mm. So if you're out there cornering like I was originally where I'm, I'm dropping my hips to the inside and pushing my bike away into the berm and opposite of what you're supposed to do. It didn't matter if I was on a full suspension or a hardtail. I needed to learn proper bike body separation, balance, counterbalance, things like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of of the camp, like rung what you brung, come (laughs) as you are to a lesson, learn whatever you can on whatever your bike you're on. And then, yeah, I mean, we see really proficient riders riding hardtails, right? Like you've seen Mm -hmm. in person on videos, I mean, or take a BMX rider as an extreme, like there's no suspension at all. And a BMX rider can freaking send it, right? Mm -hmm. So the hardtail aspect is definitely not holding them back. In fact, the fact that no one is racing BMX on a full suspension bike tells you, okay, like in that sense, it is better to be on a hardtail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So learning like pressure and release generating for coming off the lips of jumps or something, like having that really consistent pressure all the way through, not having it affected by suspension is kind of a lot easier to learn in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are skills that like being on a hardtail or rigid bike are technically easier to learn but your room for error is less. You make a mistake on that fully rigid or that hardtail bike and it is, you know, you feel it all the way through your right. body. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas you make them, you know, the learning, the timing of your preload or your pressure and release in a full mm-hmm. suspension bike, you're trying to sync the timing of your movements up with the suspensions, compression and rebound, right? right? So rebound is if your listeners, your listeners know what rebound is. I've heard you yes, heard out about sure. suspension yes. on this podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> you're trying to time your movements to your suspensions movements yeah. adds a layer of complexity in learning the skill. But if you botch it, you mess up your timing or your execution of that skill and you're on a full suspension bike, you there's, Chances you might say a little higher chance of you saving it or Mm -hmm. about that bike kind of making up for that mistake versus you having to take um, that error through to your limbs. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I mean, especially younger riders, if you were to tell them like, you need to learn on a hardtail, I'm sure a lot of them would, would say, okay, boomer and roll their eyes at you. But (laughs) so I am interested though, like do junior riders uh, that you're working with today, are they looking to develop different skills than like adults who might be attending your camps? Oh yeah, this is a good question. I don't know if they're looking to develop different skills. I think just in the, you know, the the reality of of junior riders often have less life experience, less de- fully developed frontal cortex, like they just might not mm-hmm. know what they might not be able to articulate or explain what they want to learn. Right. Whereas an adult could be like, oh man, I really need to work on my front wheel lifts to get over these roots. Mm-hmm. And I really need to work on working on flat pedals versus being clipped in. So I know what my feet are doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas a, a younger rider might just be like, dude, I just want to send that jump or I just want to get faster uphill. Yeah. So they might not know exactly what to ask for, which then in teaching them, you have to be, you know, you might have to tailor your, the delivery of your message. So with younger riders, it's more about creating challenges, making games, little competitions, Mm -hmm. you know, setting up goals for them to reach. So they are working towards these skills in the disguise of it being this like trying to get this challenge or something. And that does work for adults too. Don't get me wrong. But I think a lot of times adults are like, why are you teaching me this? How is this going to serve me? (laughs) 
kind of a yeah. questioning things on that level more. So that's funny. I, I would have thought the opposite. I would have thought like oh. kids would show up and they'd like have some video on their phone and they'd be like, I want to do this. Well, sure. That happens too. And yeah. you know, it's somebody like doing a huge jump, but yeah. yeah, it sounds like they're more open to like games and like working kind of bit by bit toward that goal. Whereas yeah, as adults, we're busy people. We maybe don't have patience and we're like, just get me to the point. I just want to like, be able to do this better. Yeah. You definitely get those kids that are like, this is what I want to be able to do. You know, they see <laughs> Hannah Bergman, our, one of our hometown heroes mm, here in yeah. town, sending the biggest jumps on our mountain, blue steel. And they're like, yeah. I want to be able to do that one day. And it's like, cool, let's get you clearing this two foot tabletop first. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'll have adults a lot of times that come to me and they're like, I don't need to learn how to jump. I just want to get better at these skills. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, these skills are making you ride at a certain pace where your tires are going to leave the ground if you hit a jump mm. or, you know, or you're just stuffing up a bunch of brakes to try and slow down to not catch air on it when right. you would actually be safer to just learn how to catch yeah, air on it. So there's like, I think, yeah, there's, it is kind of funny, the differences mm. in what kids and adults ask for, but ultimately there's different kinds of learners in the world. And I think one of the, one of the, the first steps in coaching that, I, a philosophy I live by and that I teach my other coaches is like our number one job is to find out where our students are mm-hmm. and then help them like find out what they know and then h- proceed accordingly. Okay. So yeah. you have some kids that have been trained in sports their whole lives. Like some of my best students could be a 13 year old that grew up fencing mm. or playing soccer mm-hmm. or something where they're just a very coachable kid. Yeah. Right. They've got body awareness. They've got balance, athleticism. And I'm just like, I could say one thing like, Oh, use your feet a little more to hit the lip of that jump. And all of a sudden they're clearing a jump <laughs> where an wow. adult might be like, so in their head and so yeah. like cognitively trying to figure out how to jump. I've watched 18 YouTube videos. Right. I've tried it. I've crashed. I don't want to crash anymore. I'm done trying it. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's take it back <laughs> a step. And just first of all, like, let's, you know, let's take, yeah, one step at a time. And so, yeah, I think that just, it's more about like, what are they coming to the lesson with, no matter their age, experience, or goals, expectations, mm-hmm. like figure out where they are and then proceed from there. And it's kind of amazing how much similarity there really is between children, adults learning these sports. I just find that a lot of the times I'm getting kids that have actually already been coached quite a bit in life. Mm -hmm. So they're just little sponges ready to learn. And then I get adults that are trying to learn this. And this is a, you know, a generalization, but I get an adult that is trying to learn a quite technical and rather dangerous sport, mountain biking (laughs) at Mm -hmm. an old, at at an adult age. So they're in their adult bodies already trying to figure out how to make these coordinations and timing and things work. And that's just oftentimes depending on their learning style and athleticism and experience and all that can be a whole different path Mm. to get them to their goals than it is with this kid. That's just already a natural at learning a physical thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Right. I definitely see that in my own kids for sure. So you kind of touched on this, like in your story about how you got into mountain biking and coaching, but I'm curious about like how much having a good mountain bike contributes to rider confidence and skill versus just having experience. Like, cause I think a lot of riders are at a point and I've heard people say this before, like they'll say, Oh, I need, I need a better bike or I need to upgrade my bike so I can keep up with my friends. How do you know if 
to keep up with your friends, you need a better bike or if you need better skills? I mean, I guess a coach could help give you insight into that, right? If you, yeah. if you hired a coach and said like, Hey, what do you see that I could do better and improve upon to keep up with my friends? Mm-hmm. I find that a lot of folks understand or, okay, let's talk, let's talk about braking, right? Okay. So mm-hmm. you start mountain biking and you learn to not use your front brake or that sends you over the bars. So you're like favoring your rear brake. Yeah. And then you just like build more natural reflexes around rear braking. And maybe you start to trust that front brake a little bit, but you're not certainly not going to use it on anything too steep. You're mm-hmm. not going to use it in a corner, et cetera. Right. So yeah. there's things that like you've built this um, habit or reflex around your brakes, your front and rear brake. Mm-hmm. And you're a happy little mountain biker going for years <laughs> with those tendencies and those habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden your friends start getting faster than you. And you're like, well, what is it that they're doing that I'm not doing? Yeah. And it could be rooted in like they're better at braking so they can go faster because they can slow down more proficiently, safe, more safely. They know how to scrub speed in a really short window of time instead of dragging it out for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that if you have a bike with rim brakes that barely work when it's raining (laughs) and all your friends have disc brakes on their bike, like, okay, there could be an element to your braking technique, but there could also just be a fact that your bike doesn't brake as well as their bikes do. Right. But when it comes to, you know, how much your bike actually holds you back, I mean, as a, as a fellow mountain biker who learned on a hardtail, I feel like maybe you came mm-hmm. to this conclusion yourself that, okay, now my riding, uh, now I'm out riding this little bike I'm on. It's time for me to get a full suspension bike. Right. Yeah. And it's usually like a big upgrade. I mean, now that I think about it, it's a silly right. question and it's a silly thought that, that plenty of us have, right? Like, I'm sure I've thought it as well that we blame the equipment for holding us back, but unless it's like a dramatic difference like that, like rim brakes versus hydraulics or like, yeah, hardtail versus full suspension, every single one of us has a lot of room to to grow our skills. Whereas, you know, we may already have a nice bike and spending another thousand dollars is not going to like get you to that next level, like, like learning skills will. Yeah. Although one, one, one area I have seen a new bike improve people's riding is if you spend thousands of dollars on a brand new bike, you know, I get a lot of riders that are kind of in between. They're like, uh, you know, they're on an old 10, 15 year old bike and they're like, I want to get better and I want to ride more, but I don't. I don't know if I really like this sport a lot or like, or they'll say something like, I don't ride enough to justify getting that new expensive mountain bike. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of where I'm at. And, and, uh, you know, I I jokingly say this, but there is some truth to it is like nothing like spending a couple grand on a mountain bike to motivate you to ride more. Right. Yeah. It goes both ways. It kind of goes both ways. You buy that nice new fancy mountain bike. If it gets you out on your bike, once or twice more a week than you were before mm-hmm. on your old bike, then yeah, it's serving your riding because it's, it's re-sparked your enthusiasm for the sport. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as you know, modern mountain bikes have evolved a lot over the last five, especially 10 years. Mm-hmm. So there are things, you know, replacement parts, maintenance things that just become they're more of a roadblock on older bikes. It's harder to source mm. parts for it or tires or wheels that size or brakes, whatever. Um, when it comes to some modern geometry things, I like to compare like the Schwinn I learned on with like the quill stem and the cruiser, like <laughs> sweet bars, yeah. like making a hard switchback turn or like hitting a jump 
with the geometry of that bike, it's just a lot more difficult than a mountain bike that was designed to be ridden that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think you're right. Like the extremes, sure, an upgrade could probably serve your riding. Or if you are losing your zest for the sport, your excitement for the sport, and you have really old equipment, maybe new equipment would kind of revitalize that Mm -hmm. excitement and spark and and motivate you to ride more, pull that expensive mountain bike out of the garage a couple more times a month than you did before. That's going to help your riding. But yeah, when it comes to like, oh, I'm on this, you know, 2017 smuggler and all my buddies are on like the 2023 smuggler and now they're all getting better than me. I'm like, I don't know. Like there's, that's probably close enough that it's like, yeah, yeah, again, maybe spending the money would make you ride more and would in turn make you better. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think a lot of times it's easy to blame the equipment when our own skill set is lacking, especially if we don't know what we don't know about our skill set lacking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guilty of that too. And you know, I call it underbiking, but a lot of times it's like you use the bike as kind of a an excuse to sandbag, right? You're like, oh, I'm not going to go as hard because I'm not on my good bike today or whatever. I'm riding this gravel bike on single track and yeah, like. <laughs> it's like, sure, okay, do that. That's fine. But <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun it's sometimes. Fun. <laughs> but if I'm honest, sometimes it's also just so I don't have to try as hard or, or worry necessarily about progressing my skills. So yeah. Interesting. So what are the skills that your students are most interested in learning? Like when people come to you or they, they show up at one of your clinics, what's like the number one thing that people seem to... Yeah. Jumping, jumping and dropping. Everybody wants to catch air. <laughs> Those yeah. are the sexy skills in mountain biking. <laughs> it looks cool for sure. Yeah. It looks cool. It feels cool. <laughs> yeah. The way modern trails are built, there's so many opportunities for catching air way mm-hmm. more than there, I think there used to be. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, I think that's kind of the number one. Like what kind of jumping? Are they looking at like really big jumps or gap jumps or, or even just, just getting off the ground? All of the above. Okay. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I think of drop being right. So I think of like, kind of like a stair step, you're a ledge, mm-hmm. you're leaving one surface, landing at a lower surface, like kind of a step down or drop step tile style situation. Um, sometimes those can be rolled. Like your front wheel goes down first before your rear wheel. I do a lot of those. And then they grow in size. And if you yeah. roll them, you're probably yeah, going to land much. on your head. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So there becomes this, like, I think people see that they see like these progressive drops and they're like, Oh, I can't roll that. I can't keep my wheels on the ground for that one. I want to learn how to jump yeah, so I can like tackle these bigger features. So yeah, jumping slash dropping. And other times people, I don't even think people necessarily know. They just ask to learn how to jump. And what they're Mm -hmm. really learning, wanting to learn how to do is like how to lift their wheels over a route Hmm. or bunny hop you know, like, like people come to me to learn how to jump and I'm like, well, let's work on our bunny hop skills. You can Mm -hmm. do, you can clear a jump before you know how to bunny hop, but the better you are bunny hopping, the more dynamic and precise you are at executing various tabletop sizes or gap jump sizes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they don't know to ask necessarily for that foundational skills, advanced wheel lifts, bunny hops, manuals, things like that to help their jumping skill. They just know like, oh, if I go fast enough at this feature, I'm going to catch air. Mm -hmm. So either I slow down so I don't catch air because I don't know how to land or I don't know what to do with that air. Or like, they're like, okay, I'm ready to start clearing these jumps. I see my friends doing it. I see these trails with all these features built. I want to be able to ride these features. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, the whole gamut it's like again it's like where are you coming from what do you know already where do we where do we where can we proceed to so yeah 
Well, is there like a fundamental skill that everyone needs to learn first? Like, let's say, you know, you maybe you rode bikes as a kid, you're older now, you're in your 20s or 30s, and, and you want to start mountain biking on trails. Is there like a fundamental skill that, that people should start with or ideally maybe already have? Yeah, I think there's actually kind of a whole spectrum of foundational skills. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, people think of something like cornering as a foundation, but then even if you mm-hmm. boil that down further, the foundation of cornering is body position, balance, oh, being right. able to lean your bike, separate from that lean so you don't fall over with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like to explain it as like, if you're trying to do these higher level skills, you want to do wall rides, hit jumps, clear gaps, hit drops, high-speed cornering, you want to race, you want to just get faster, you want to ride double black, the black diamond or double black diamond trail, like these all kind of live up here. Mm -hmm. And to get you there, you've got to build like a really solid foundation. Mm. You know, that cliche, like you've got to build a foundation in order to build a house. And a lot of my clients want to build full-on castles of shred where they can do it all. (laughs) Castles of shred. Castles of shred. (laughs) I should make a t-shirt that says castle of shred. Um, But yeah, that takes a really big, solid foundation. And so there's not one specific foundational skill necessarily. It's a whole platform of skills that are very foundational and foundational Mm -hmm. doesn't mean easy. And I think a lot of people mistake that as like foundational is basic, basic is easy, but I would consider manuals, bunny hops, wheelies, these kinds of skills are actually very foundational to our mountain biking. And if yeah. you can grow that foundation and really solidify, if you can do like a bunny hop on, you know, on call bunny hop without it needing mm-hmm. a prop or a feature on trail to do it or, or, clipless or your pedals. clipless pedals. Yeah. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have a solid foundation that is much safer to build on than if you're lacking those things. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I talked about breaking a little bit, cornering. I think wheel lifts are all um, learning how to absorb bumps, mm-hmm. right? We get riders, especially if you're clipped in, where you can kind of hit a bump and just let that bump like jiggle your head around and your feet don't flap the pedals because you're clipped <laughs> right. in. So it's fine. But that art of absorbing a bump, like actually letting the bike come up to you so your head stays still mm-hmm. is something that I think people figure out pretty early on in their riding. They don't always need a coach to help them figure it out. But um, I do find myself a lot of times pointing out to a student, like what you just did there was absorbing the bump. Now we need to take that to the next level of absorbing this or that. Or I like to grow the concept of absorbing into this concept of pumping, right? Like pumping rollers or pumping corners to generate momentum is a foundational skill that many people brush off as not important or they don't think it's, they don't know to work on it. So I'm a big fan of getting pump track skills. Mm. uh, Quite often that is a homework assignment I leave my students with is like, all right, you got all these techniques, all this stuff to bring to your mountain biking. Now it's time to get on a hardtail and spend some time in a pump track and learn how to pump because it's like a magnifying glass to your technique. Like if you have a really good pumping technique. If you're good in a pump track, you're probably good at cornering. You're good at at generating momentum. You're good at balance. You're good at pressure and release and timing of all of that, which is Mm -hmm. all foundational for jumping and shredding and dropping and all the things. So (laughs) it's kind of a long-winded answer, but yeah, there's a lot, a lot to the foundation. It's quite extensive and it's part of what gives me great job security. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 
Right. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, of pump tracks too. That's, I'm glad you mentioned that. And kids just gravitate toward them. I mean, they get it. They're so that, fun. Yeah. It's fun. And you just go around and around. You get so many chances to practice and to get better. And yeah, pump tracks are great. There should be more of them. You really build, you, you know, pump tracks are pretty physical. So you build some good power and fast twitch muscles mm-hmm. pumping that serve your mountain biking too. So I think, yeah, the, it's it, I, one, they're fun, especially if you know how, what you're doing and you have something to work toward, right? Like I'm going to try and, mm-hmm. you know, right. get around the track with no pedal strokes or you, I'm going to try and manual between those two rollers or whatever. You can kind of like mm-hmm. plant little goals yeah. to achieve to constantly have something to be like working on amidst just the fun of take, doing pump track laps with your friends mm-hmm. or your family. So do you pump, do you do your pump track in clipless pedals or do you ride flats for that? Um, usually clipless cause I'm out on a ride and that's just part of the ride, but you're on your mountain bike already. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I, right. To be fair, I can, I can get the bike off the ground. I can bunny hop without clipless, but yeah, sweet. it's okay. not as good, right? Like I can't get as high. It's, it's definitely harder. Yeah. So I bet some spending some time on a pump track without your clipless pedal. So go pump tracking on flats, mm-hmm. develop a little bit more of that um, fast muscle twitch and strength in your leg muscles that help your bunny hop mm-hmm. along with your flats, right? Because I think one thing that clipless pedals, clipless pedal riders miss out on is how much ankle actuation you actually need for mountain biking, mm, yeah. for taking off in the lips, taking off your bunny hop, landing and absorbing bumps and the landings mm-hmm. of jumps. It's a lot in your ankles. And if you're clipped in, you don't really have to pay attention to what your ankles are doing. So mm, right. um, focusing on what your ankles are doing while you're on flat pedals through a pump track can be actually really insightful for your clipless pedal progressions too. Yeah. Awesome. That's a great tip. So you talked about a lot of the skills that people are working on, young folks, adults, uh, various skill levels. What are the skill, the mountain bike skills that you're working on right now? All of them. (laughs) (laughs) Never not working on skills. Yeah. Yeah, I guess my most recent coaching session with Harlan, I was working on cornering. I think I'm a pretty solid, I'm thinking I'm pretty solid at cornering. Mm -hmm. I think my technique is pretty bulletproof, but it's not always that dynamic. And so Mm. I just see there's a lot of room to grow how I approach corners always, right? You see somebody like Jill Kintner cornering and you're just like, oh my God, I have so much to learn. (laughs) So I think that is um, cornering always, 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 because there are so many corners in mountain biking, like and that's another thing is like people want to work on jumps and then they like their cornering is atrocious. And I'm like, okay, you're not able to clear that jump because you're killing all your speed in the corner before mm, it. So yeah. cornering and jumping, I think are two skills that actually live together mm-hmm. pretty regularly in mountain biking and yeah. cornering's not the sexy skill to work on, whereas jumping is. So mm-hmm. a lot of times folks come to me with jumping lesson and we definitely give them a jumping lesson, but oftentimes it's ending with me pushing them to take a lesson in cornering because mm. that'll be the next step to get them better at jumping. And then, yeah, jumping. I mean, I love catching air. I love hitting jumps. I don't always love taking limbs off the bike while I'm in the air. And I think having some more like tricks in my bag would be fun. So I'm just working on like hitting bigger jumps more comfortably, adding more style and like tricks while I'm in the air, Mm -hmm. um, getting better at cornering. And then around here, we have a lot of pretty steep technical shoots and rock rolls. And I love one of my favorite things about mountain biking is 
finding those moves or those sections of trail that kind of like get your heart racing and like you're, mm-hmm. you can feel, yeah. feel your stomach and your throat a little bit. And like, then yeah. I like, okay, calm down, visualize success. I'm like, I know I have the skills to ride this, which is often breaking in body position, very mm. foundational <laughs> to yeah. ride those yeah. steep, hairy sections. And then when you like check those moves off, it's like so gratifying. So I'm mm-hmm. always working to get new steep lines, techie lines, like weird techie tight corners to like yeah. check off as well. So yeah, kind of like I said, kind of everything. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Fitness. Hello. Right, <laughs> I'm in my forties right. now. So I'm one of the things I'm trying to focus on is, um, strength and fitness is I think this is really underestimated in mountain bike technique is how mm-hmm. much I mean, riding a lot can get you really fit and it can get really Mm -hmm. fit for biking, but it doesn't necessarily make you like strong in other ways. Mm -hmm. Core is a big example, like core strength. Yeah, Biking doesn't increase your core strength, but the stronger your core is, the better you are on your bike, the better you are at saving your mistakes, Mm -hmm. balancing, riding, you know, riding technical lines composed is really rooted in like a really good strong core because that's what's supporting your limbs. So -hmm. if your limbs are supported by a strong core, you're so much more quick to react and fix things and stay composed on your bike. So I'm a big fan of like yoga, Pilates, weightlifting, things that I do off the bike. Mm-hmm. Not because I like working out and I mean, I like yoga and Pilates, but like, I mean, you know, I'm not lifting weights because I find joy in that. I'm not trying to become a CrossFit <laughs> athlete, but yeah. I do notice the stronger I am, the better I am at mountain biking. So yeah, I guess as a little side note, that's something I'm also working on too. It's just like getting some additional fitness to stay balanced in my body. Cause as a you know, I've been mountain biking 20 plus years. And if that was the only exercise I got, I would be really imbalanced. Mm. So yeah, I just think finding those movements in your body that biking doesn't put you through and making sure you're staying strong there is a really good thing to improve your riding and something I'm always working on myself too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I think a big inspiration you are for a lot of folks, like you're a skilled instructor. You've been doing this a very long time. You're an accomplished writer and yet you're still working on new skills. And you mentioned that you recently were injured, I guess, (laughs) um, writing, pushing your skills further, I assume. (laughs) Um, and yeah, just riding along just JRA. Well, yeah, that happens. Turns out mountain biking is an inherently dangerous sport. (laughs) Right. It is. But yeah, not being afraid to like push yourself beyond your comfort Mm -hmm. zone. And I mean, that's the only way you're going to get better. It sounds like. Yeah, I think that's one way to look at it is like pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone is a way to get better. But I think really digging in to what you're doing on your bike so that you can ride with more intention is actually Mm -hmm. more important. So I tell a lot of my students like to progress your riding, you don't have to do like a brand new feature and a brand new move on a brand new feature to count it as progression. Mm -hmm. There's smaller steps you can take. So I'm a big fan of encouraging folks to try something that you've done before, say roll down that route, try that roll down move on a bigger ledge or a different ledge. So you're trying a skill you've Mm. you're comfortable with on new features. That's progression. But then you can also say that same root ledge, maybe you're comfortable rolling it. Now you're going to try to start dropping it and actually carrying speed and have both wheels land together on the backside of it instead of rolling one wheel at a time. That's taking an old feature you're comfortable on and trying a new skill on that old feature, which Mm -hmm. is progression too. So it doesn't always have to be something big and new. And yeah, I am recovering from a bit of a crash. Okay. 
Okay, it was a pretty hard slam. I have honestly haven't Ooh. crashed that long in a really, really long time, like seven years or something. Oh, wow. But I was riding a blue trail with a group of friends and I slowed down for a rock roll that was totally within my pay grade. It was nothing that made me even <laughs> think twice. I just slowed down because I knew I'd pick up speed on the exit of the rock roll and it was a clear mm-hmm. exit, clear run out, like nothing to worry about. And somehow at the towards the end of the rock roll, I slipped a pedal, uh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like ride happen. flat pedals. And then here I did. I totally <laughs> boofed my footing. And yeah. that happens. I've, I've slipped a pedal before and I've saved it and been fine. But I just happened to slip a pedal at a really inopportune time. And my front wheel kind of hit a wet rock. And I was going pretty fast at that point. And I didn't even see it coming. I was like mm. fixing my foot on a pedal. And then all of a sudden my face was hitting the ground. So I, yeah, some of my stumbling over words today and stuff are, mm, I'm going to blame a little bit of that on having hit my head <laughs> pretty hard in the last two weeks. I'm still kind of reeling from some concussion symptoms, nothing super major. Um, And then, yeah, I've got a wicked black eye that has been getting better, but uh, I had a few stitches in my cheek and yeah, I mean, mistakes happen. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do with that? Is it, I mean, are you going to be scared like in a situation like that in the future? Like you ride that trail again, are you going to be thinking about that? How do you like move on. Yeah. So it was a trail just down in Darrington. So it wasn't my, it wasn't trails I ride very often, but I'll be on that. I will ride that trail again. And I'm sure when I roll that section, I'll be like, oh gosh, this is where I crash and I'll be a little more (laughs) Mm -hmm. attentive. I felt like I was pretty focused in the moment when the crash happened, even though, well, leading up to it, I was, but to be honest, when my foot slipped, I was distracted by my foot slipping. And then that's when the, Mm -hmm. that's when the crash happened. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it, when you were saying, oh, you probably crashed doing something like pushing your limits or whatever. (laughs) And the funny thing is, is like, yes, crashes happen in those times when we're pushing our limits and we're trying something that is Mm -hmm. um, pushing us. But those are often the times we're most focused and we've Mm -hmm. thought the most about it. We've got, you know, an example of what speed to carry because we watched a friend do it or we get what we call a toe in your friends towing you into it. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes when you're doing like those bigger, harder moves that have you nervous, you're Uh actually so focused on the task at hand Uh, that that lends itself to your success. And it's those afternoons on a blue trail with friends, you didn't even see it coming that sometimes the biggest crashes happen. And I think that's because our focus gets taken over by something else. You lose it, you lose focus. And that's when um, often we crash. But if you're, if you're like trying to check off the next big feature and you're worried about crashing to a point where it has you nervous, you're Mm -hmm. probably not going into it as relaxed and focused as you would if you were confident at how you were going to ride that feature. Mm -hmm. And so one of the tips I give my students, I call like my four steps for trying something new. And step one is like visualize success. If you can see what speed you're going to be going, what your feet are going to be doing, what your hands are going to be doing, what your braking is going to be doing, where you're looking, what line you're taking. Like if you can really visualize the nuance and detail of that feature, that move or that trail, that's a good step one. If you cannot try mm-hmm. to visualize success and all you see is pile driving your face into the ground, <laughs> you're probably not ready to try not it. Ready. Yeah. So you can visualize success. Then I like take it, take a deep breath, smile, and then get it done. <laughs> mm. So I think the breathing and the smiling 
have been shown to uh, release chemicals in your body that help relax you and help focus you. I I say smile. It's like, if you're not having fun trying that new thing, like what's the point? Are you just doing it because your ego is telling you should do it or your buddy's just trying to talk you into it and he's not really thinking about your safety or maybe he's actually trying to get a clip for Friday fails on pink bike. So he's like, yeah, yeah, do it. I got my phone out, right? Right. Like what's their motivation for talking you into it? (laughs) So yeah, I think visualizing success, taking a deep breath, smile, relax, have fun with it, and then do the thing you know you need to do to be successful. Mm. That's how you progress progress and ride things. But yeah, if you look at a feature and your heart races and your palms sweat and, and your stomach's in your throat and you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't think I can ride this. It's like probably, there's probably other things you can try to build your technique and skill and confidence. Mm-hmm to build you up to that feature. That's not that feature that you should probably be working. That's probably a sign. There's other things you need to be working on. So Hmm. yeah, in the case of my crash, it was fully within my pay grade. I wasn't (laughs) trying anything that made me nervous. I was having fun with friends, made a mistake and very poorly timed. And I crashed like, that's why I wear a helmet and knee pads when I ride is because happens. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you're a coach for coaches, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, is, is very meta. Like you started out (laughs) as, as someone who was coached and then you were a coach and now you're coaching coaches. Mm -hmm. So aside from being knowledgeable about biking and about bike skills, what makes someone a successful mountain bike skills coach? I think there's a lot, a lot, a lot to it. (laughs) Part of why I created kind of what you can look at as like continuing education classes for coaches Mm -hmm. is because, I mean, mountain biking in itself is a very technical, complex, varied sport. There's so much to it. Even just look at our equipment, right? We've got like two wheels, two brakes, sometimes more than one form of suspension. We're doing uphill, downhill. Like there's a lot of variation and variety to mountain biking. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if you look at skiing or snowboarding, I mean, obviously there's types of skiing that go uphill, but like just resort skiing, like you're just going downhill. You're not just going uphill. You've got a Mm -hmm. couple edges and one piece, one or two pieces of equipment work together. Like there's a little, there's obviously there's like very complex and nuanced techniques to snowboarding and skiing. It's not to say those are simple or easy sports. It's just you, when you look at mountain biking, it's, it's, it's got some layers to it beyond what even skiing and snowboarding have Mm -hmm. or baseball and golf or whatever you want to look at. Like it's like, it's a sport that is inherently dangerous and there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. when it comes to becoming a certified mountain bike coach. There's a lot of nuts and bolts to learn. How do you teach someone to use their brakes? How do you teach them to do front wheel lifts? How do you teach them to hit a jump or rail a corner or whatever? Right. There's, there's those explanations, the Mm -hmm. proper progressions or like safer, like, you know, reasonable progressions to take people through like that in itself is, I mean, I've read cover to cover, like multiple manuals on teaching mountain biking, like cover to cover, like anyone that's written a book on coaching mountain biking, I've probably read it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to know about the actual like substance of mountain bike coaching. Mm-hmm. So when you get certified, that's the main focus of the certification courses is like how to teach you to teach this in our thought, in our, in our like theory or our, our, mm-hmm. you know, like coaching theory. Like how can yeah. we get coaches out there sending the same message? So people are learning this method of mountain biking or this, this mm-hmm. progression. And that's awesome. But I've, over the years, I've, worked with plenty of coaches. And then I've even experienced this myself. It's like, okay, I understand how I teach a front wheel lift. Mm -hmm. 
So then you get to a point where you just regurgitate that, right? You're like, okay, step one, step two, step three, step four. I memorized this from my class. I got certified to teach this. We're all good to go. But if we look at mountain biking and it's all variety, it's a very, uh, it's a sport that reaches a lot of different people, all yeah. ages, backgrounds, experiences. And you're asking them to, to be vulnerable, right? Like try mm -hmm. something new, possibly do something that's dangerous. You may be asking them to change habits or patterns that they already have. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're managing groups of people. You can be out in the woods where there's not medical help nearby. <laughs> so yeah. there become, there's these like layers on top of all of the like meat and potatoes that is mountain bike instruction. There's mm -hmm. group management, safety, um, helping people navigate fear, recognizing when people are experiencing fear, vulnerability, exploration, experimentation. Like there's so many layers to a really good mountain bike coach. And I find, wow, we have some amazing certification programs available to us these days. Mm -hmm. There's still so much to learn to be a good mountain biker. So I think I, one of my little sayings is like getting certified is the first step to becoming a good mountain bike coach, but mm -hmm. then getting continuing education and working on your skills as a coach and a leader and a mentor and a mountain biker yourself is how you become a great mountain bike coach. Mm -hmm. So my classes um, for coaches aren't necessarily focused on, oh, you're supposed to stay this step before that step, or you're supposed to explain a front wheel lift this way or that way. It's more about giving coaches a chance to practice. Mm -hmm. You know, we do these mock scenarios where we've got students and, you know, fake students and the instructor, and the instructor is given a chance to work through a lesson plan from start to finish, like mm -hmm. introduce it, get your students trying it, wrap it up, progress it, wrap it up, whatever you need to do, whatever you have time for. And then we all contribute feedback to that role play. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so a lot of my mountain bike instruction is teaching the other skills that make a great mountain bike coach, mm. you know, how to prioritize safety, how to recognize and address fear, how to handle distracted students. You know, sometimes you're having to reel students in and be like, whoa, whoa, Sally, you're not quite ready for that. Let's try yeah. this step first. <laughs> other times you're like, Sally, you got this. <laughs> you just showed me 18 times in a row. You know how to do this. Do it. You know, like, right. so it's like, and everything in between. So I think, yeah, what I really love about the position I'm in is that I have 20 plus years of experience as a mountain bike coach. And a lot of the experience I've gained has been through trial and error mm -hmm. um, and nerding out with my coaching buddies afterwards and, and having clients that have come to me periodically over the years. And every time they come to me, they're a new rider. Every time you take a lesson, you leave that lesson with new information and new things to try. And even if you take another lesson a day or two later, a week or two later, months, years later, like you mm -hmm. are a different writer for that lesson now that you've had another lesson and time to practice. So mm. I think just like, yeah, getting the, uh, given, given the amount of experience I have over the years, I've learned a lot of things that have made me more effective in my coaching. And it's not just how I explain how to do a front wheel lift, but it's all the other skills that go along with that. And I really want that for coaches. I want folks in my mountain biking community to be able to hire a coach and have a really good, safe, positive experience. Mm -hmm. And if you're just stamped with like, oh, you're a level one coach now, you don't necessarily have all that, that skill set to do that. So I think it's a way that I can take the knowledge and experience I have, parlay it to 
aspiring coaches, newer coaches, or just coaches that just want to get better because they have growth Mm -hmm. mindset too and know that they can improve just like I do. I love to be able to work with those coaches and just make them even more proficient and confident in their coaching abilities. And ultimately, I think what it's doing is giving their students a better experience, a safer experience, a more fun experience, which just boosts the whole industry. Honestly, it's making, it's, it's lending people to want to buy more mountain bikes and take more mountain bike tours and vacations and, you know, hire more coaches because they had a good experience with it. So that's part of my motivation there. And just, I'm such a, a fan of teaching and I love teaching people who have growth mindset and know that they have room to improve. And it's often coaches are very aware of their opportunities to grow and improve. And so to me, that's just a really fun demographic to work with and encourage. And every time I teach a coach's training, I learn too, which is, you know, selfishly another reason I do it is because (laughs) my coaching has expanded through teaching these coaches trainings. And um, yeah, I just love it. And I think there's a lot of times as coaches, we get assigned this group or we do this event or we're teaching these lessons in our hometowns or our trails or whatever. And it's can be kind of an isolating thing. Like you're just, you could go years coaching and realize mm-hmm. like, oh, I've actually never heard anyone else teach this before. And then all of a sudden you hear someone else teaching, you're like, whoa, that's a sick way of explaining it. I'm going <laughs> to add that to my thing or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's like, the art of coaching is often not a shared thing with other coaches. So hmm. to me, those are those opportunities help grow the community of coaching, like that, that community of, of mountain bike coaches to have a network to lean on and people to bounce ideas off of and to share successes and, and trials and tribulations and stuff with to um, continue to grow and build that community even more. So yeah, that's just my jam. I love it. And <laughs> I love when people want to get better at what they're doing. And I, yeah, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Did that answer your question? That was kind of a absolutely. Tangent. Okay, yeah. <laughs> clearly you know your stuff, and obviously you're you're a great motivator, very enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, thank you for for taking the time to chat with us and and share some of that experience with us. Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks so much for asking. You had such great questions for me, and that was really um, I really enjoyed this interview, and I had a really great time chatting with you. So thank you. Awesome. Well, you can find out more uh, about Angie and about Radical Roots online at RadicalRootsMTB.com. That's all I've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.